know. And do you think that killing jokes are sort of good antidote for fashionable groups? You've never had much to do with um, fashionable <laughs> trends, uh, It's not as pen. Yeah, Hamburg Music's out this year. Yeah, killing jokes in. And it, it's also because um, we're just uh, the most brilliant live band in the world. Get it? Do you think that um, saying things like that has made you a bit unpopular in the past? Because you have had a terrible reputation for saying now, uh, outrageous things. What with journalists, you mean? Yeah, with journalists rather than with. Yeah, uh, we've got coming. we've got um, a good relationship with the press, actually. You know, uh, Phil Street, as we like. You haven't got a very good relationship though, because they do tend to make you out to be terrifying. They always people. get exactly what they want and what they deserve when they come and speak to Kilinjo, always. You know, if, if people want to, if they're genuinely interested about the band, you know, they can, uh, we'll pick it up of them and we'll talk to them. But uh, if they want to sort of stitch us up. Uh, They'll get stitched first, basically. Yeah, we'll happens, take them always. to the back alley and slap them around a bit. Slap them around a bit? Well, you know. Gosh. Mark out the points, build the player, assemble different drummers, light up the fire, put on your masks and animal skins, illumination, illumination, listen to the drums. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. In season three, we are running the gamut into all shapes and sizes of bands, artists, and albums, each nominated one by one by your hosts, creators, and captains, Mark, Eric, and Steve. This is Mark speaking, and today we are joining you on a monumentous occasion. Yes, friends, the Emperor statues have been torn down on the planet Naboo, Ewoks are dancing on Stormtrooper helmets, making some Stormtrooper stew. Um, we are pleased to announce that President number 45, Donald John Trump, has no longer going to be our president come January 21st, 2021. Very, 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 very happy that he's no longer going to live in our heads and we can just focus on moving this country forward. Um, so I just want to get that at the top just to kind of time stamp it, what we we're all doing this day. We Hopefully we're all dancing safely from one another, but still dancing nonetheless. But tonight, we're not here to talk politics completely. We are here to talk about music, music in general. And the music that we've landed on for this episode is Killing Joke. So if you're not a uh, longtime listener, for season three, we've landed on some albums here and there. We've talked about Pink Floyd, we've talked about Prince, and we landed on one of Eric's nominations which is Killing Jokes Nighttime, released in 1985. 
Before I hand it off to him, of course, I want to introduce our other captain of industry, Stephen. Are you there? Oh yeah, got James Brown going. Start shadow boxing. That's right, folks. I'm calling in from a place called America. Absolutely. I am am living in America. And it, it feels a little more like America today with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris winning the presidential ticket no matter what anybody that lives in the White House now says, they will be the future vice pre- president and vice president of this country. And I have to tell you that today for the first day in a long time, uh, Mark was talking about this recently, I swear to God, I was in a better mood all day and uh, just everything seemed a little better. I seemed a little less annoyed. And even a little bit of of that old good fashioned feeling of patriotism started creeping back a little bit. And it's, it's been a while since I could look at the American flag and say like, what the fuck? But uh, today I, I, I felt a little better about things. Obviously there's many problems to fix still. There will be for years to come, but to have somebody that tonight spoke this evening, uh, the president elect was speaking and speeches are speeches. Yes, I understand that. But after just the four years of the constant insults and stoking of division and just bile and hatred and dog whistling, dog whistling. And when that guy was first elected, you know, he's like has some or in his inauguration speech was talking about like American carnage and shit. Yeah, it's just so exhausting. It it literally broke people's brains. Uh, The crazed people that run around the Trump flags that broke their minds. And uh, to hear somebody go on tonight about, you know, speaking about science. Uh, speaking about trying to heal, uh, going on about being there for everybody, and not just you know not just pulling the typical uh, black and white, uh, but also uh, lesbian, gay, transgender, um, people with disabilities. Uh, that like really really struck a chord with me to hear the, that kind of uh, empathy from someone that's going to be a world leader again. And it was just uh, it's been a very good day. And I was watching the news, and sure we all were. People all over the country celebrating as just, it was like we all won the World Series is what it looked like. And I, it was a really good day, really happy. And I, I certainly hope that uh, what starts today uh, becomes even more progressive. I hope that we're able to get a couple of those seats in Georgia and really uh, do some incredible sweeping changes. First of which on tonight's episode of podcast, Like a Politic Hole, we can get let's get let's get everything blue. Uh, let's get uh, the Senate, the Congress, and the President, and just get rid of the fucking Electoral College. And imagine it. Just imagine that from now on we won't have all this stupidity over these elections, and we won't even deal with having the minority every four years control the whole fucking country. Uh, anyhow, I, now I'm, I'm really just uh, going on one now. But it was a great day. I was very happy. And uh, what, what did you guys do? Did you guys do anything today when you just heard the news? Did you do anything? Well, um, I'll, uh, I'll toss it off to Eric in just one second. But uh, two couple things there. As you were listing colors, I actually thought you were going to break into Party Man by Prince. 
or whatever that song is. It's last um, episode, but yes. <laughs> Black and white. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, so that's one. Number two is today I had to work, but that was, um, I got the news. And uh, just like John Lennon said in Day in the Life, oh boy, I was quite excited when I got the news. I uh, called up my, my work buddy, um, who we talk politics all the time. He's on our side of the fence, if you will. Um, in terms of ideology, we're all Americans, as Joe Biden said today. Um, it, you know, we both kind of got emotional, you know, not, not to mention that this four years is finally going to be, we're going to move past this point and hopefully get better as a country and better as people. But it's also worth noting, we're also electing a woman to the second highest office in the land. And not only a woman, but a woman of, uh, of color. Of, you know, she comes from a very diverse background, um, ethnically and uh, nationality-wise. She's a daughter of an immigrant. And you, it's, a, it's a powerful moment. And I don't think that, it, I mean, a lot of people are obviously given that it's due, but it's still, it's a, it's a, it's a great moment. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it's also uh, to bring things down to the level you usually keep it around here. This is the first time that I get to be uh, quite attracted to someone in the White House. So there you go. <laughs> hey, man, you show me those Taft pictures. I can just picture him getting stuck in a bathtub. <laughs> God, never wanted to be a bathtub so much in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that man. Eric, what, who, uh, Eric, what, what'd you do today? <laughs> Hi, this is Eric. Uh, yeah, I uh, listen. You might as well call me Katrina today. I've been walking on sunshine. Um, it's lovely, lovely day. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, as soon as it was announced, gave my family like big hugs and kisses and just, you know, shouted, blasted some tunes, went for a walk and just smiled at people. Had to run, run one errand where I had to actually go, like as Mark joked about, I had to go to an auto parts, uh, store to <laughs> get something <laughs> in Folsom uh california when there were some long faces in there but i just mm -hmm. uh, i just <laughs> put my mask on puffed my chest out and bought, got those batteries and it was uh <laughs> yeah it was a day and the rest yeah. of the day was sent, spent drinking and uh generally uh going back and forth between uh comics that make me happy and uh news that makes me happy and the rock and roll hall of fame which nine inch news uh Friends of the show, Nine Inch Nails, and topic of season one, uh, were inducted to a pretty fun ceremony. Um, inducted by Iggy Pop. That was fun to see his intro. Um, but not, not, not before. Uh, earlier this week when they released a hour and a half long conversation with the current band and the other inductees, including 90s members Danny Lohner and Chris Frenna. Uh, quite a fun fun conversation so just so much good stuff in the last 48 hours did you guys watch any of that any of that rock and roll hall of fame stuff i did i um i watched some of the 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 uh, the round table talk earlier this week i'll catch up with the rest of it later it is long but uh, you can never have too much of that that was fun and yeah i watched tonight i i i uh yeah, I DVR'd the, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing and then watched the Biden speech. But that was pretty amusing that that Biden speech was happening at the same time, like the same exact time live that uh, TR's thing was getting inducted. Nice. Even though that ceremony wasn't live uh, as far as the programming goes. Um, and it was nice. They played a bunch of clips of people talking about TR and Nine Inch Nails as those things do 
And they had an old clip of our old buddy David Bowie talking about how much he liked the uh, the downward spiral. It was pretty good. Um, did you watch it, Mark? Um, I only watched the segment where they uh, raised their um, jerseys up to the rafters, oh, and yes. each yep. of their numbers were also retired. So in rock history, no one can have, you know use those numbers anymore. So. <laughs> no more. Yep. No yeah. more. Uh, so. Trent Reznor didn't think that this video they had to do, it was not worth cleaning up for. He still got his quarantine look. His fucking like, <laughs> like neck hair, neck hair, beard, like neck hair from his beard and uh-huh. scruffy and his hair looks greasy. I don't think he took a shower. Um, <laughs> it's fine by me. I find it amusing. I mean, guy's married and he's got a ton of kids. He isn't, you know, I know how that goes. Get don't have time for that, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And other nine inch news this week. Related to that, uh, they put up some covers online of artists doing songs by the artist being inducted. And uh, St. Vincent and Dave Grohl did a version of Piggy that I really like. I am a big St. Vincent fan. Oh. Yeah. No, that, that, that cover is amazing. Um, there's, she's you know, awesome, man. She, she's she a multi-instrumentalist. She just does cool music. I like her stuff a lot. Oh, yeah. me too. Yeah. yeah. I need, and it's kind of, I've listened to an album or two in the past, but I need to, I'm kind of inspired to dig a little deeper and um, her cover is great. Um, the, there's some really cool, like uh, kind of ghosty guitars in the background and obviously the bass line. And then Dave Grohl was an inspired choice for the drumming. Obviously he's got a history with Nine Inch Nails. And then um, that's such a drum heavy song and live drum heavy song that it was perfect. So yeah, is it on the streams or where do I find it? Oh boy, this is gonna be tough. Eric, you want to? Oh, you you want to tell him or you want me to? Mark, Mark, it was an Amazon exclusive, buddy. Amazon exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we'll we'll find a way to get it to you, Mark. But I'm just sorry to even bring them up on this podcast. (sighs) You know, (laughs) Jeff Bezos is rich enough. You guys, (laughs) just look at yourself in the mirror when you are ready to uh, join the, uh, the proletariat and throwing your Molotov cocktails that you're only feeding. Oh, yes. the, the, grass ro- the grassroots fucking effort that is the Apple company. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we're a scrappy bunch. <laughs> uh, before, before we move on, I do want to mention that the way I celebrate it today, because I actually, I, one of the few times that I miss living in San Francisco was today. Typically, maybe one day a year I miss living in San Francisco, if that. I can usually go five years and not miss a fucking day living in that goddamn city. Not as much because the city itself, even though it's not as good as it used to be. It's just I'm too old for city life now. I'm an old fucking grumpy man. But uh, I, bet the par- I bet the street parties in San Francisco are pretty fun today. It looks like the street parties, spontaneous parties all over America. When has that happened in our lifetime? I don't know. It was like it did look like a, you know, a, a dictator was toppled. Well, you but, were down there when Obama got elected, and I remember you telling me that. Oh, yeah, that was, was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was time. fun. It wasn't, it wasn't as, I don't think it was as crazy as today it was, but that was fun. But so what I did do is I did what I could do. And so I got a beer uh, early this morning and just walked down the hill shouting, Joe Biden, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and uh, I walked down to the little fucking main street there. I walked up another person's street, another person's street across the bridge the whole time doing that all the way back to my front door. All my neighbors know where old Steve stands. So uh, I was just, it was, 
got a, got a couple looks, got a couple of smiles, got a couple of. Uh, just it, it sounds like the theme song to Ironsides. Uh, yeah, or, exactly. or, or here, Sparrow. Here comes Burl Ives. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Uh, Biden. Celebrate a little bit, but anyways, uh, we're not here to talk about the president, and hopefully. For the next four years, we don't talk about the president every day because you're not supposed to do that. Right. That's right. They, yeah. We do our jobs. They do theirs. Yes. So, Eric, this is your pick tonight. Yes. So, uh, we're going to get into Killing Joke. Um, Killing Joke's kind of a new one for me, and might may be the same for you guys. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but uh, they, this particular album, I chose this one, as we'll see, is it, it may not be everyone's favorite album, um, but it's their biggest album. This is one of their biggest one of their biggest, uh, at least, uh, commercial successes and critical successes. Uh, but it's a fusion of two different eras of Killing Joke, um, kind of their harder stuff with some more of their kind of dark wavy 80s pop stuff. Um, and I just thought this would be a perfect one. It's, 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 it's really tight, short. Uh, they kind of cut to the chase on this album in eight tracks, probably clocking in and under, if I had to guess, in under 40 minutes. And um, uh, it's and it, 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 it involves everything that I love about the band. So I'll get to talk about all that stuff that may show up on a later album or an earlier album, because it's all here on this one. So um, that's why I chose this one. So let's get into the history and then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about if any of us have experience with them and, and then we'll go into the tracks. All right, here we go. 1979. Jazz Coleman moves to Notting Hill, England, as we're all we're all very familiar with because of the rom-com classic starring lovable and bumbling Hugh Grant and uh, America's Sweetheart Julia Roberts. Um, and anyways, Jazz Coleman, uh, he moves there. He's in he's into music. He's actually a classically trained uh, violinist. Um, but strangely, rarely bust that out for Killing Joke. But we'll get to what he does with that a little bit later. Uh, he shows up and he, he wants to join a band and he has a roommate. And his roommate says, well, I have this drummer pal, Paul Ferguson. And they meet. And lo and behold, they're both really into the occult. They're really into magic. And, um, you know, obviously the 80s <laughs> had a whole uh, flooding of satanic panic. Um, but if you look into a lot of people that were writing, especially in the UK, 
in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a passive and almost positive connection to some occult uh, occult practices and, and writing. And these were definitely in there. And I'm thinking of specifically of a couple comic book writers uh, that same era, same place, also into it. Um, so yeah, these guys were, were, were really into it. And they actually, they put out an ad in Melody Maker for auditions. And the night before auditions, they did a ritual. And this was hoping to bring good energy to their band. And lo and behold, who shows up the next day? Two guys, they've got um, guitarist Jordy Walker and uh, bassist Youth. Now, Jordy Walker was this like new kid. Um, you know, he was pretty stylish, uh, but pretty new to music. Um, you know, shows up with his guitar, his hollow body jazz guitar that we'll get into. Huge part of the Killing Joke sound. And he's never without his, his hollow body guitar. And uh, Youth was this kind of scrappy punk, but had been in the punk scene in the UK for a long time. So much so that he, embarrassing, embarrassingly, and he'll admit this, was, you know, one of those like swastika use, but not Nazi use. He wore it to just offend people, but politically he was, he was very left. But it's one of those weird things uh, that, you know, punks in the UK at the time were doing for shock value. Um, anyways, he, he was one of those and actually showed up with, with a pretty offensive shirt. And they were going to kick him out of the door right there until they talked a little bit. Well, uh, it's a, you know, he was decades ahead of his time as an American. He'd fit right in the last four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was he, that, name, that name is familiar. In addition to Killing Joke, was he in any other bands we know about? Well, so his big project, so he was all about dub and electronic. And um, he, and a producer, he's produced a lot of stuff um, in the 90s and aughts, especially like electronic stuff. Um, but uh, you may know him from some of that. Um, he's been around, he does a lot of remixes. I feel like he did maybe even so, like a Bowie remix or two. Um, he's, he's done a lot of remixes and uh, that may be where you know him. That sounds about right, probably. Yeah, um, so they all got together, um, they played a few songs and they weren't feeling it. And so Paul and Jazz, uh, skipped on to the pub to have a few drinks and talk about it. And Youth and Doherty were in there just kind of like worried that they were going to get fired as soon as they came back. So they just started like just jamming together and just kind of come up with something. Jazz and, uh, and Paul walked back in, heard a groove happening, got on. And they were like, all right, that ritual worked. We've got it. We're locked in. And, and they kind of had their sound from the get-go. September 1979, they released their first debut EP, Turn to Red. And they're really setting the tone for what is always going to be Killing Joke's signature sound. Tribal drums and bass play and like just this, this interplay back and forth between the tribal drums and the bass. And then meanwhile, this like, this uh, reverby, uh, just kind of bouncy, echoey guitar uh, riffage happening over it. And um, their early stuff was very much in line with a lot of some of the like your cabaret Voltaire's your early proto industrial with like, cause jazz would play keyboards while he sang and he would, he, he had a lot of fun doing that. And initially jazz wasn't interested in being a big front person. Um, and uh, so he would do a lot of keyboard stuff and then, you know, sing a little bit in between. It's kind of shy. Um, but then they released their first album, their first self-titled album in 1980. And this one is special guys. This, this album is so good. 
got big hits like Requiem and War Dance, and it's they they toned down the 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 kind of the keyboard stuff, although it's still there for atmosphere. And Jazz really found himself as a vocalist. He doesn't overdo it. He just he kind of pops in and out of songs, but he's got that growl to his voice, but with a lot of range. And um, that whole album, when you're listening, your foot never stops stomping on the ground. It's great. Um, and uh, they, in fact, it's, it's funny. It was even a club hit because this original sound they did, it was the tribal drums and bass, but they would go into these like dub reggae, not reggae, but like dub kind of like jam downs where the, where the effects would kind of take over while the bass and the drums would do their thing. Um, I know guys, dub is a dirty word on this podcast. We've uh, taken a lot of shots at dub genre, but I'm sorry, guys. I'm starting to come around. I think there was something to it. A lot of the music we like <laughs> is related to dub. So if that's what they were doing in some of their early stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I think Youth brought a lot of that dub to it. That, that was really where his heart was. Um, well, today, they- today, Eric, is a day where we're all trying to reach across the aisle, heal wounds. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, if you want to, if you want to, you know, reach out to the dubsters, uh, I, I understand. That's right. All we're saying is just give each other a chance. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I, I, I think dub, you know, there's a, there's a limit. I mean, don't, don't try to listen to your old sublime CDs. You're not going to be satisfied. Trust me. But anyways, uh, that album was big. And actually there were some club hits on there. I, recently I read, believe it or not, in the Beastie Boys, uh, the, um, their oral history book. They talk about like, they pulled up a set list from a club they used to go to in New York back in the eighties. And it was all stuff like Blondie and, and very dancey stuff. And it was like, oh, right there, Requiem by, by Killing Joke. Like that early album had these great like disco beats, but these chunky guitars and, and bass interlay over it. Um, and just hear a guy screaming over like a club dance song was, was pretty rad. So um, that's a very interesting, that's a very special album and I, and I highly, I highly recommend it, but they had to keep moving. And so they released what's this for and an album called revelations produced by Connie Plank from uh, who produced new and craft work. That's a pretty good album also. Um, and it was, and then uh, that was a top 20 album and suddenly and right when they're starting to hit some peak fame, Jazz Coleman disappears. Jazz Coleman disappears. And it turned out it was a, everybody thought he just, cause he's always, he was, by this time, his occult and his magic was like, he was all about it. He thought every show should be a ritual. So he'd paint his face white and put this eye makeup on. And he was just uh, like, he was trying to get tribal at every show. And um, so everybody thought he just kind of snapped. But what he did was he, he, he had this plan and he's, there's a certain form of this occult that he was into where you would find these spots. Like he believed that certain spots on earth had magical energy. And he truly believed that the apocalypse nuclear Holocaust was coming. This is 1982. He believed it was coming. And there was only one spot where the magical hotspot would protect everybody. And that was Iceland. And so he went to Iceland he hung out with this uh, kind of uh, new wavy band in Iceland called Björn and started playing with them. And they created a, a side project called Niceland. And they only did like three songs, um, but it was, it was definitely infusing new wave, this new kind of like, you know, obviously we know what new wave is, but this kind of European influenced new wave into what jazz was already doing. And he, he knew this was good for Killing Joke. He wanted to bring it to Killing Joke. So he invited 
Jordy over and he invited Paul over. And at the time, Paul was working on this project called Brilliant with Youth. Youth was not invited. <laughs> so Paul just kind of skipped on over to Iceland and Youth was left behind. And one of the guys from the Iceland band joined Killing Joke as they put out their next album and one of their critically uh, most respected albums, which was Fire Dance. Can I ask a question about the occult? Yes. Uh, so is he, is he kind of like, is he Grant, Grant Morrison type wizard or Jimi Hendrix Satanist warlock? What, is, what was his brand of a cult-ing? Uh, I think he was, the rituals he was doing was like very Steven Grant. Steven is trying to obviously sniff out any Pizzagate <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, sure, connection. Sure, sure, Not at all. Sure. I actually, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I actually, you know, I did dabble in the occult. I truly did. It was uh, 2012, and uh, around that time, I was reading a Grant Morrison book that took, talked a lot about, Grant Morrison considers himself a wizard, comic book writer, and uh, a lot about tokens and energies based upon the power of like something you can hold in your hand. And uh, there was a pretty big event going on in my life at that time, and I thought, you know what, why not? Why not see what I can do here? So I... Uh, I got a package of these small discs and I went among places of the Bay Area and put the discs in very precise points, hoping that it would somehow push the energy to carry a baseball in the direction I wanted it to. Because what I was doing, those small <laughs> discs were actually, they were these old uh, Oakland A's poker chips and I put them I put them on the BART trains and what I my thought was is that while these BART trains circled the Oakland Coliseum they'd be spreading this like A's power around and that would help the A's advance in the in the, uh, the playoffs. Oh. Um, it didn't work. I th <laughs> I think, I think ended, and Lennox ended up with one of your devil discs there. Yeah, that's a <laughs> That was my dabbling in the occult. Stephen well, was uh, summoning those angels from Africa. That's right. <laughs> Look it up, folks. Yeah. Well, uh, to answer your question, I think that is kind of more what he was into. Um, I think he liked the the hedonism of Satanists, but he did like the kind of chaos magic of doing something to increase your positive energy and your your chance of success. Like that's that that was definitely his approach to it. Jazz is at least. Um, so he thought he could escape nuclear Holocaust and go and go to Iceland, but he brought the band and discovered a new kind of way to make his music a little bit more poppy and, um, started working on that. And, oh, and just, if you want specifics, uh, he followed the Oracle project, which is students of the occult. That's that, that was his, that was his fold in there. Um, and by the way, I'm getting a lot of this information from a fantastic documentary. It's two and a half hours long, my boys. Two and a half hours. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It's, it's like one of our episodes. Yeah. It's called The Death and Resurrection Show. It is an official documentary of the band. They were, as in they actually can use their music. The band is in the whole thing. You also have cameos from Jimmy Page and Dave Grohl. There's a great scene where Dave Grohl or Jazz is trying to tell Dave Grohl why, how spirituality is related to aliens visiting. And Dave Grohl tells him about a dream that he had with aliens in it. And they're getting so excited at the bar talking about aliens. Um, anyways, you know, you know who else is really into aliens? I learned just last night was Sammy Hagar. 
apparently half of Sammy Hagar's songs are about him being abducted by aliens. <laughs> I, I, yes, that Rivals podcast that you uh, turned me on to yep. um, has been a hell of a listen. And yeah, the last two episodes were regarding Van Halen. And Sammy seems like a good time. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, well, I would no, rather hang out with Sammy after that episode than David. Yeah, if you're going to listen to music podcasts, you listen to us first, you listen to Rivals next. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, they returned to Britain. And with their new sound, they released Firedance. They had a new bass player also. Youth was was on the outs with the band but he would be back though don't worry we have not seen the end of youth but um they brought in paul raven paul raven was a you can tell like just very new wave in style paul raven would go on to play in ministry we'll talk about him a little bit more later it's a good name Uh, yeah yeah and so paul paul raven joined and i mean really bass player in in killing joke is huge because the as you know the the back and forth between drums and bass is is critical to their sound and then they got to work on the album that we're going to talk about tonight, which is Nighttime. But I'm going to pull a little fun with the timeline and skip right over that and give you kind of where they ended up. And then we'll go, we'll go back and talk about what went into this album. Uh, they, they were flying too close to the sun. As, as I've already mentioned, Nighttime was one of their most successful albums. They tried to follow it out with Brighter Than a Thousand Stars, a album that was also recorded uh, by the same producer, uh, Chris Kinsey. Um, but they actually, in this rare, weird move, they actually wanted it to sound more poppy. So they scrapped his recordings and they, they self-produced it. And it got horrible reviews. It did not, it did not follow up the way with, you know, the, the, all of their stuff has had pretty good critical respect, but this did not. Um, in 2008, they, sent, they, they re-released it with Chris Kinsey's uh, production, and I love it. I think, I think it's a great album. There's some solid songs on there. Um, Sanity, oh, please, Sanity, forget about it. The title track, uh, Bright, uh, Brighter Than a Thousand Stars, so good. Um, and then they started falling apart, and uh, believe it or not, their founding member, Paul Ferguson, left, getting into the 90s now, Paul Ferguson left, um, and that's when they brought in friend of the show, Martin Atkins. Drummer for Pigface, and before that, he was part of uh, Public Image Limited. And they brought him in for the album Extremities, Dirt and Various Repressed Emotions. Pretty chunky, ahead of its time, industrial sound on that album. And their big single was Money Is Not Our God. Very cool video. And then that did it for Jazz. They recorded it and he left. He disappeared again because now he had found another energy spot. What he called the navel of the planet Earth in New Zealand. And he, he, uh, he actually found an island there that he could call Killing Joke Island. And he, and, but what was he, what was the rest of the band doing while he was chilling in New Zealand? Martin Atkins and Paul Raven and Jordy Walker. Well, they, they brought on Chris Connolly, Scottish singer we've talked about on the show before. Uh, a, fa- a favorite of Wax Tracks Records, industrial guy, came in to sing for their project, Murder Inc.
Steve, I know you're familiar with them. You actually said, hey, I just found out <laughs> Murder, Inc. is killing joke without the singer. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where I definitely first heard of them when I was younger. Uh, Murder, Inc., and I think uh, Damage Incorporated has some members, too. Correct. Maybe. Correct. Absolutely correct. And, yeah, that was, that was my – the ministry crossover there because uh, Chris Connolly was the vocalist, I believe. Yes, he was. He was. That's a, it's a great project. They only had a few songs, and, and it, but it's, it's, it's fun to listen to. Um, so uh, at some point um, during this time, uh, Jazz goes over to Egypt, where he finds another energy hotspot inside, uh, uh, in, <laughs> inside of this, this, uh, <laughs> this pyramid. And he goes in there to record in the pyramid, and he has a, uh, an Egyptian musician with him. And some of the Killing Joke members are with him also. They actually are thinking about making a new album, and they want to record singing inside this pyramid. And then somebody gets spooked, and, and the Egyptian mu musician runs out and feels like the eye of whatever Egyptian god is chasing him. And it's this whole moment. Did, anyway. you just, did, you just, did you just read about that? I, I read that in an article recently around Halloween at Kerrang.com, <laughs> where uh, they were listing like the most the top 10 spookiest recording sessions and that was on there ha! no that was in the documentary uh you know what else was it kerrang.com was uh, your buddy jazz and his chicken pot pie business oh boy well as you can see jazz is a character yeah this is this recently he uh he he opened up a or the, there's a chicken pot pie company over across the pond and they collaborated or collaborated with him on like five different pot pies so Wow. He's, he's doing a lot of things. Well, before he would get back to Killing Joke, he did collaborate with some Egyptian musicians on um, some classical work. He did, uh, did some traditional Egyptian music, and then he also brought those musicians over to do a Led Zeppelin tribute album, all with Egyptian music. Um, that's actually fantastic. The Kashmir song is really good that they do. And uh, I think there's a. it's very interesting that jazz is such an accomplished classical musician and um it doesn't cross over with he, like he very much never the twain will meet for him as far as killing joke and his classical music goes um i know he's he's definitely won awards for it too and it didn't stop there he worked in Prague for a while and just making classical music um so anyways just an interesting side note but he did return um or, or rather he had his band return to new zealand to record pandemonium which was his 90s album and they were definitely getting harder chunkier more industrial um and at some point now they are the count at one two third band that we've talked about that put produce an original song for uh paul verhoven's showgirls so they, at some point that was their big return was a song for showgirls pandemonium came out democracy came out and then they went on a little break for a while and then they came back with their second self-titled album uh paul was no longer in the band but they got Dave Grohl in on drums. Youth was back and uh, they put out a huge record. That second self-titled one, guys, I know like Mark, you and I kind of found that one around the same time. And, and Steve, I know you, you checked it out. That one is, is pretty fantastic. Oh, beloved woman of liberty, come to me.
that 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 one that one's a rocker for sure. And then they've done a few more albums since then. Well, they've um, gotten they've gotten more rock, rocking as the years went on too. Yes, I, I, from my exposure to them, one hundred percent true. It's they they still have the elements of where they started, but their new stuff is the guitar is a lot thicker and more forward, um, and a lot more growling and 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 like melodic shouting and screaming from jazz's part but yeah they, they're definitely more rocking now for sure um but that kind of takes us through their history they've like once they came back in 2002 with that they kind of could just kept chugging and um and putting out good stuff uh sadly uh, the only member that we've lost is paul raven um funny enough he came up not funny it's not funny at all but he did come up in the al jorgensen autobiography that i just read he joined ministry on a tour and Al said, it was weird. He was the only one that wasn't a heavy drug user. We were all like absolutely acting like assholes that year, um, all almost dying. And he just kind of like smoked pot and didn't do anything. And then like one month after they got back from tour and they were going to go record, you know, they were going to go back to the studio. He like apparently messed with some drugs for the first time that he never aged, but he had a heart attack and, and died. And, uh, and that was really sad. But uh, it was at that that funeral that Killing Joke kind of all found each other again. Paul was back in the fold, uh, Jordy in, in youth and, and, and jazz, and, and that kind of helped them refocus on their work. But uh, yeah, so Paul Raven was, the, was our casualty. And that's kind of their history. we can get into the i can get to some of the nitty-gritty on the album but um you know for me i i i got into them very recently like in the last three years i i'd kind of heard their name here and there could not tell you a song um and uh what what had happened was we were recording our nine inch nails season and as i've talked about a lot of times that that just kind of sent me in a full relapse excuse me a full relapse into industrial music um, and I wouldn't call Killing Joke industrial, but they are adjacent to industrial and very much respected by industrial. And um, I checked out their first self-titled album, totally blown away. It took me, honestly, it took me six months to truly digest that album. And at the same time, I listened to Trent Reznor's remix of their song, Democracy, which is one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails remixes. It's so good. And I, and I was like, well, if you can turn something like that into something like, like there's gotta be a lot to this band. And so I've been slowly just absorbing albums ever since. And, Not to uh, interrupt you on that one, yeah. uh, but I've actually come to find out that that was a Charlie Clouser that was really behind that remix. Oh, it wasn't even Trent. Well, that's good. It wasn't even Trent. It was, um, it was uh, Danny Lohner that added some additional guitar work, but it was Charlie that actually did that remix, but they put Nine Inch Nails on there in order for it to potentially sell better. Sure, so. and I think they did that a few times. That was kind of like that was their. They had like a remix collective, and that was, and, and that was their kind of their stamp to to bump everybody's, uh, you know, brand recognition. That's fine because it's it's amazing, and I and I actually it kind of ma makes me love it a little bit more knowing that it was Klaus and, and, and Loder. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, why, didn't they, why didn't they bring uh, Why didn't they bring him back for this week's feel good? That is how I got into them, and I've been absorbing albums ever since. 
I really do like their tribal drum and bass background with that like echoey reverby guitar does it for me. And then when you move it like into that dark wavy eighties pop, that's just, that's my bread and butter. I love it. So that, that this band really does work for me and it's always intense. It's never complacent eighties uh, pop. It's always in your face, which I really appreciate. But um, do you guys have any, you know, any other stories about how you got into them or? Steve, I'll let you go first. Uh, I've known about them since I was a teenager because even back then, uh, I might have mentioned this before in the show. In addition to hearing about them, probably in like an interview I read with Trent Reznor or some such, um, I used to have this, uh, I think it was Network Records or some goddamn uh, distributor for industrial music. I had this catalog that I swore by. I read it till the pages fell off. And I would read about all these albums that I wanted to buy. And uh, Killing Joke was in there. And they really sounded interesting to me. Um, around that same time, though, yeah, Murder Incorporated came out, which was basically, if I understand correctly, Killing Joke with Chris Connolly instead of Jazz. Right. And uh, never really got into their music, not for lack of trying. I just never got around to it. But all these artists that I liked respected them. And it's interesting because a lot of industrial bands cite them as an influence. And so do a lot of metal bands. A lot of metal bands are into Killing Joke. And that makes sense because they got more aggressive as time went on. But I think even like their 80s stuff appeals to a lot of metalheads because it's just, it's very dark. It's got a good sense of atmosphere. Um, and it is hard. Like there's some good hard guitarists in the, on this album that we'll talk about tonight. So it's just very, they're kind of like a band's band. Uh, I've, I've heard so many musicians over the years say that Killing Joke is one of their favorite bands. And I mean, proves in the pudding, Dave Grohl did it. Well, he's done a lot of albums with a lot of people, but he did a whole record with them. So, but uh, as far as really, really getting into them, I never really did. Eric, you mentioned them to me a few years ago and I you suggested an album to me that I did listen to. It might have been was Democracy an album? Was that one? Uh I I probably recommended the Dave Grohl one, which was a self-titled one. Yes, that album. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. And uh no, What's I'll definitely the, the I'll second, definitely the second self-titled. They have two self-titled. Both are their their some of their best work. But that one is the 2002 album. Yeah, I'll definitely add them to the rotation because I was uh, impressed with what we listened to tonight. Mark, what about you? Um, relatively the same thing. Um, I came to understand that they were a very influential band on some of our favorite bands um, with that introduction to that quote-unquote Nine Inch Nails remix of Democracy, which sounded like a song that you would hear, like Quake's theme song. It's got some shredding guitars that go on for days. And, you know, around that same time, uh, I think that was also when I was going through your back catalog of comic books and graphic novels, and you had that killing joke Batman story that was kind of <laughs> one of the definitive Joker stories. Perfect. And so whenever I would um, see killing joke um, written in like reference, my mind just zooms back to that uh that cover of Joker taking pictures on mm -hmm. that front cover. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, just hearing Nine Inch Nails talk so highly of them, uh, Marilyn Manson, Tool, Ministry, um, even though they're almost contemporaries. Um, but yeah, it, it's it was just a band that I never really quite got into, even as I got more interested and intrigued about the post-punk genre. 
Um, but for whatever reason, they just never hit my radar um, in terms of, oh, I got to listen to these guys. They just, for one, when we were all three working at the record store, um, a lot of times new bands that I was exposed to was through the used department and not a whole lot of killing joke came through used in, in all of my years there. So even if like I had read, like these guys are good, I just didn't feel like plunking down like full fare for an album of theirs. And honestly, in, our, in our formative days, that was like, there was no streaming services to, Oh, I'll just check it out. Like it was exactly, like, that was how you'd have to dabble. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it, it I don't think I ever really saw a, that record store stock it new a lot of times. I mean, you got your, your, your staples of like Bauhaus and joy division and those types of bands that would come through and like we were able to, you know, explore those bands, but killing joke just was, it seemed to be like to Steve's point, a band's band, but not something that a lot of people actually had in their record collection. I, I don't even think they've ever charted in the U S and also interesting that, I mean, this is a lot of bands are like this, but it's interesting that their sound too, like within the revolution and also like at certain points, they definitely are in the middle of uh post-punk uh gothic dark wave-ish new wave and yeah. metal it's it's they they kind of they're in their own they're they're in between all these this, these genres which makes them hard to classify and uh well i, I guess you know where where would uh where would you have put them in the youth section i don't know right uh, yeah, yeah they're very 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 unique five points make a star the four rules of chaos magic. One, there are no rules. Two, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Three, belief is a tool for achieving effects. Four, the fourth rule is the first rule with an emphasis on the second and third rules. Five points make us tire. Five points make us tire. Five points make us tire. Without belief, money is simply metal and paper but if you believe that that money should go to pod like a whole will make the hosts happy as will itunes reviews so tell your friends patreon.com slash pod like a whole us to the uh the hole in my story which was this particular album um so the 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 big one from 83 fire dances a lot of got a lot of attention and chris kinsey producer of the rolling stones and led zeppelin um he he was into it and he was he was he's he signed on to work with them on their next album and you can tell after coming back from from Iceland, they, you know, jazz, they were all like, they all had a vision of how they could make their sound work commercially. And like I said, they were messing with new wave bands in Iceland. They were incorporating that into their sound on fire dances. And they wanted to kind of go, go a little further with a, with a big name producer that could give them, give them that sound. What I love about Chris Kinsey's work on this album, we'll talk about it more is he truly captured their raw their their raw sound while also like it's undeniable when you hear a track that is a radio banger 
like he he could do both and um it's why it's interesting that the next album they scrapped all of his 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 production in favor of a much more polished sound that was terrible and uh yeah so i think that's interesting because he because he's a key piece to why nighttime is uh is i think a great listen um but yeah they 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 worked on it the uh the album dropped in uh they released a few singles early they released 80s and a new day which we'll get into um early so i guess i i i i thought new day came later but they, they, that was an early release single before the album was out the album itself was released in january 85 with love like blood being the biggest one uh and uh peaking at 16 on the uk charts uh it it was five in the Netherlands and eight in Belgium. Like I said, they did not chart in the U.S. And then maybe that's why we did not explore them earlier. Uh, lack of, we heard their name, but lack of exposure. Um, this was their fifth album. And uh, even on that documentary, everybody refers to it as like, that's the high watermark. That's, you know, when they're doing what they want to do, but also being successful doing it, this is the album they look at. So, um it was good, like, you know, it's, it's all over the place. We'll get into the lyrics later. He's forecasting the Falkland Wars. He's he's rebelling against Thatcher in his lyrics. Um, jazz is going like like absolute madman in the live shows, like face painted, gyrating on the floor. To mention uh, that. Oh, all I right. Need now what's she gonna be doing next? Oop. <laughs> Sorry. We're gonna be uh, drinking some whiskey and doing a gig tonight in Glasgow. Yeah. And then where? Manchester. Oh, I know. It's my birthday on Monday. Yeah, we're having a few friends around for a drink at Hammersmith. And we're Pally. yeah, we're having a pint at Hammersmith Pally and uh, on the twenty fifth, and so come along and get deaf. <laughs> Is it going to be a very loud concert? It's going to be horrible. Yeah, it's going to be a truly horrible atmosphere. And uh, the press interviews from this era are hilarious. Uh, it's it's usually just uh, Paul Raven and jazz doing press interviews and paul raven is very stoic and like too cool to be there and jazz talks a lot but like talks a lot of shit to the to the to the interviewer and uh and they're pretty funny pretty funny dynamic so that's the that's the background i mean they 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 recorded it uh chris kinsey put his touches on it and they released what would be their high watermark so uh yeah so the lineup on this album was the you know main three paul ferguson jazz coleman on vocals paul ferguson on drums jordy walker on guitars and then they had um paul raven this now is like second album with them uh youth was uh awol uh, you know, I just want to quickly interject something that connects uh, youth to another previous episode that we have talked about. Um, youth uh, played on an album with the Orb called Metallic Spheres, which also starred David Gilmore. Hmm. Ah, so yeah, we've uh, we've linked the two. Yeah, Youth went on to be a pretty pretty prevalent producer in the UK. He did Paul McCartney. He's he's done a lot of a lot of stuff and always with his toe dipped in the electronic world, um, but he's done he's done some big names so you know, and they would bring him back. Uh, sometimes he'd play on the record, but uh, he was mostly happy when he was producing their later records and some of their like he was a big part of some of their heavier sound later on. So 
you know, we, we like, we like youth. <laughs> he had a rough start, but we, we enjoy him. But uh, that's my background on this album. Unless you have, unless you stumbled on anything in your, in your journeys. And we can go on to track by track. All right, let's do it. All right, track one. It's the title track. Night time. All right, so this is our title track. Um, as far as like, uh, you know, not a lot of background into this. I mean, lyrically, what you have here is a song, um, nighttime, turning off the sun, countdown, pulsing like a machine, blood stains, night covers the crimes, daytime shows the face behind the mask. Basically like our dark sides come out at night and, um, you know, we hide behind a master in the day kind of thing. That's like, that's really what the song is about is the duality of, you know, people when they're out and about during the day, um, when they have to, you know, basically that's when they have to fake it for society. And at night, crazy stuff comes out. That's essentially what it's about, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. Let's start with Mark. Yeah. Um, album starts out really strong. It has kind of that, post-punk type feel um, just with that minimalist brittle guitar tone um, I'm hearing some Joy Division influences um, maybe it's just because the Joy Division to me is kind of like the Rosetta Stone when it comes to post-punk that could be misguided but that's just how it is for me um, I really really love the use of analog and the digital drums sure as hell sounds like a digital drum you um, are correct uh there's some live footage of this song and really prevalent in this song a couple other songs on here he's got his his drum set all standard drums but then he's got two digital toms yeah roto, roto toms connected to it yeah. i love that um it is a list type song uh that uh, you know me i've been on record saying i enjoy a list as he's going through you know um Nighttime. Um, what else does he say? Party Count, troops um, and government. Conflict and blood stains. Daytime, showtime, fun time. <laughs> um, um, I can see how this, you know, sets the tone for the rest of the album. Um, it's not overtly goth rock sounding as some other bands that seem to kind of flirt in this genre. And some of these bands have only kept it a distance. I think it's because the names kind of just don't do it for me, like the Fields of Nephilim and Christian Death and those types of bands. Um, but it also gives you an accessible sound. So you know that it's not necessarily if you're jumping into this genre for the first time, I don't feel that you're going to be put off by the sound. I mean, to me, it sounds like an accessible sound, not to the sense of being a pop song. We'll get to that later on this, probably this record. But um, I like I, I like this song a lot. I think it's a, a song, a strong, solid track one, um, and uh, it's an indicative. But to go back of uh, 
maybe we'll talk about this, but I'd figure I'd throw it in now since it is the self-titled track. Uh, the one thing, if I was to find this album on a record rack, I would be put off by that album cover. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that one's just not doing it for me. It looks like a Simple Minds cover or something. <laughs> like that. Yes, it's like bad. It's like bad overlaid photos with a very much an '80s like font of nighttime, and then Jazz has yes. his head in his hands, and then behind he's him, out of focus and super yeah. like close. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean. Just it's not a great album, but the next one that would come out, same kind of, they were going for the same sound. It's this really classy black and white picture of jazz, and it, it you're gonna put yourself on it. That's a nice one. That's that's a good cover. It's a fine cover. Uh, this one, yeah, I, I hear you. It, it looks like a uh, somebody vomited over over Photoshop. The first <laughs> Photoshop version zero. Yes. Yeah, but I like this track. I think it's it's it, it's fantastic. It's an earworm for 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 days. Those hooks yeah. get. Get get you in there, Stephen. Yeah, it's a great opening track. Um, thanks for that info on the on the lyrics and the uh, the theme, Eric. I definitely could say that much of America was uh, coming out at nighttime for the last four years. So now, uh, now hopefully everybody can maybe keep their 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 worst impulses at bay. But as far as this record goes, or the song, it's a good opener. It's very driving, a very driving song. And I kind of think it sets the table for the majority of the pace of this album. There are different, uh, there, there's dynamics to this record and uh, beats per minute, if you will. But I think a lot of them kind of get into the same groove that's on this track. Um, their sound definitely jumps out at me. I, I really feel like, you know, when I was talking about earlier that they're in between a different genres, like a song like this, this could be, this could be on a Cure album. It could be uh, a stripped back version of it. it. Could be a Joy Division song. I hear a lot of jo- uh, Jesus Lizard in this band. Hmm. Who, uh, the Jesus Lizard is one of my favorite bands. There's a lot of Jesus Lizard going on in this record. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of, a lot, especially with the bass work, and also Jazz's uh, vocal deliveries are the same kind of. Uh, he kind of like, he he has a good voice, and he does sing. But he also at times kind of just spits words out. Um, it's it's, it's an interesting mix approach he takes. Uh, the 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 drums you were talking about, Mark. I love that. There's a blend of, I think there's a blend of live drums and triggered drums on this song. I definitely like that that triggered beat that 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 comes through. It's you could dance to this one, but it still has an edge to it which probably sums up a lot of their albums. Uh, and, and Jordy's guitar playing, some impressive delay, like Atari guitar glitching goes on at the end of the, the song. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but he kind of has a freak out. Stabbing guitar uh, riff comes in as, as the song fades out. I think stabbing is another descriptor of the guitar work I'll probably bring up a lot on this album. It's a good song. The The basses and the drums lock in together and they carry you through the whole thing. I like it. Good opener. 
Yeah, uh, as far as the guitar goes, um, we'll reference it a few times on this album. Uh, you know, Jordy's style, like I said, he's got this old ass hollow body jazz guitar. And if you don't know what that means, it means it's not your Fender, your like very thin hard wood. It's more like an acoustic guitar body, but an electric guitar. Um, definitely using like rockabilly and blues and 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 you know, old rock and roll, but he has it just jacked through distortion and reverb. So it sounds modern, but it has this organic reverb quality that lets him do some pretty cool things on it. And I, I, I always appreciated, but watching the documentary and watching his kind of craft made me really appreciate him as a guitarist because he's not super flashy, but he has a undeniable distinct sound. And, and like Jimmy Page is a massive fan of his guitar work. And then he goes on about it quite a bit about how he basically plays it like a symphony, uh, plays his guitar like it's pretty cool. Um, and I, I when a when you know when a guitarist respects guitarist, there's obviously something there. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, this song. I mean, you guys said it. Uh, it does set up the formula, and there is a Killing Joke formula. It is that tr that Tom heavy tribal drum beat, bass going with it. Like that is that is the formula, and uh, you know. I think if there was a critic about Killing Joke, it would, you know, be that formula will come back maybe four or five times on this album. And if that's a problem, I mean, I, I guess I, or I, I appreciate it. However, that, that really works for me. That like driving, thumping drum beat with the bass that's basically playing along with the toms. And yes, they are roto toms, but they are not triggered. They are, he's playing all of his drums live on this album. It's just, it just so happens that, the toms are, are electronic toms, but he's playing them live. And uh, anyways, that work really works for me. But, but if somebody were to get bored of that formula, I would not begrudge them that because it does come up a few times on here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it is talking about the duality of night and day and just kind of like, you know, people being more free at night, but that can, there could be good and bad with that. People are maybe not good people. They're holding it together during the day, during their jobs and, passing people on the street, but at night, they, that's when the murders happen, the crimes happen. Um, that's when your sieges and, and your coups happen. Uh, talking about governments and like, they, they're very political band. Um, uh, so I, I really appreciate Jazz's lyrics and his delivery. It's a perfect first track because they're establishing their new sound, but it still is very related to their old sound. This, this could, the song could have fit maybe on their first couple albums he's he's still doing his yell a little bit more than he will do like in the next couple songs he'll get more melodic with his vocals but this yell that he's doing on this song is more in line with his with the early stuff so he's kind of helping us transition to their new sound by the way he's singing this um but yeah great first song i'm glad you guys enjoyed it i uh i think your references to other post-punk are spot on um but yeah that's uh nighttime and uh you know, nighttime is dark, but the sun will rise. But there's always a little bit of darkness before dawn, which is
boy. <laughs> this song is, is very cool, but uh, just setting you guys up for this. Um, lyrically, this is a, this is like border, margin to margin poetry uh, written. The lore of elders passes judgment on, the, on this waste and finding me or them does lack accepting fate. Like this is, <laughs> this is what Jazz is writing on this. And it's very prosy, very goth in lyrics. As um, you know, as the moments pass, another face arrives. We watch them come and go with the speed of passing clouds. Um, it is. Uh, I basically I, I I read it. I reread it. I reread it three times. And um, what it's looking like is that hope is very hard for those of us with inner turmoil. And this song is about trying to be hopeful but your inner demons kind of hold that down um and then what can pull us out of that is friends and towards the end he says in time we face ourselves with our faults and fears now that i know that the final conflict is within i recognize the faces of my friends and hear the call come journey journey with me through the darkest hour like that's the final kind of line of the song um but just be friends can pull us out of it and that's it's very uh thick and dense lyrics but you don't really notice it in this song it's kind of a fun one but i'll let you guys talk about it uh steve yeah i had no idea that uh that the, the the lyrics were so a uh, vampire theater on this track but uh <laughs> written by ann rice yeah it kind of it kind of fits with the music i mean this track does pick things up just like a half step from the last one the uh, pace wise uh and Cole, jazz has a really has a really longing delivery actually for this track so it makes sense with these lyrics that he is going full vampire on this song uh he's probably trying to summon somebody through some kind of like love portal with one of his spells uh nevertheless it's a good track um it's a little bit more commercial but despite that because some of these songs <laughs> in this album actually do sound like they could be one in particular a name check later um, they do sound like you'd find them in a movie during not like a Matrix club scene in the 90s, but more like a Lost Boys under the boardwalk scene in the 80s. A lot, a lot of that, like uh, Echo and the Bunnyman vibe going on in some of these tracks. Just the feel. I, I don't. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, a lot harder than Echo and the Bunnyman, but just the feel. Yeah. And yeah. I definitely get that on this track. But one thing that helps with that on this one is this, there's an atmosphere to this track. That's like the keyboard fills that uh, Jazzard is doing. Right. They're very like, they're very uh, like Philip Glass atmosphere. Not a lot of structure to them. They're just kind of hovering and they kind of give the, the song that, that has a forward momentum, a kind of a, a fog to it. And it's probably the fog of the vampire love that he's singing about. And the last, the, about two minutes in, uh, the guitars really kick it up a notch and the song gets a new, it kind of shifts into another gear. And I really think it, I think it does a service to this track. Not one of my favorite songs in the record, but uh, it's a good one. So um, yeah, uh, <laughs> to essentially be the counterpoint to Steven, this is probably my favorite song on the record. Um, I find myself vibing to it every time that I listen to it. Oh I'm my just, God. Fucking what you just vibing. 
vibin like that cat in those videos yeah man. that's new vibin vibin's a, <laughs> that that one's only been in our lexicon for about three months now i think and now the old people are using it so carry on mark i just killed it <laughs> um but uh yeah it I, I really enjoy that propulsive to steven's point it does pick it up the pace um you have this propulsive rhythm guitar line that um just carries you through the entire song um to me as the resident U2 fan, I would say that uh, this song, it sounds like a dark version of U2 that you would essentially find on their early records. Um, I'm talking like either the first three and probably more specifically, probably just the first two, Boy or October. Um, Steve had mentioned this on the last track that we had talked about, but uh, it is a common theme that I'm finding on this album and maybe if memory serves even even on that 2003 more hard rock album but mm-hmm. the drum work not only is it fantastic but it's very locked in into the bass line yeah um they're just in lockstep pretty much throughout this whole record and sometimes uh jordy's guitar work kind of joins that party steven also mentioned something that i really really like about this song is that keyboard work, um, it does provide atmosphere, but it's very low key. It never tries to overpower. It's just essentially adding a little sauce to the mix. And I I really do enjoy that. One of my favorite lines off of this, uh, not only this album, but this song is, but choking on promises meant for the deal. Um, I really like the imagery of that. And, um, just a great line. It yeah. is very, very poetry. I mean, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, David Bowie and some other, and, you know, Trent Reznor, we've kind of shat on Trent Reznor for his lyricism, but I do appreciate someone really trying to create imagery in a way. And I know this season we're going to be talking about Nick Cave, um, who I feel is, he's my favorite lyricist of all time. Um, and, it'll be interesting to kind of, as we talk about that, but I can see your point as you were trying to essentially put your shields up thinking that we're going to have knives out for this song in terms of how, uh, how he would potentially be seen as maybe trying too hard. And I don't think that he's trying too hard. I, I actually do appreciate because it goes along with the music. It's something that if you were reading along to the original graphic novel of the crow, I imagine this song is also playing in the background somewhere. <laughs> Gentlemen, enough um is heather is heather a killing joke fan eric this is she is. Sounds like, yeah, yeah. Sounds like her stuff. uh she is but but she it was another blind spot for her her and i kind of got into it the same time together which kind of adds another level of special to it because she uh as far as like in the 90s i i had my industrial bands but um goth was still kind of kind of uh foreign to me and so she that's her bread and butter so she sisters of mercy and and christian death like she's she's got she's turned me on to a lot of that stuff so this was this was just waiting there for us so it's great Uh, yeah um but anyways this uh this song i already kind of talked about what it was about and i like that like just kind of you know the fact that everybody tells you to hope for something better but if you're dealing with inner struggles that's three times ten times as hard um but you know you know, friends and, and, and comrades can pull you out of that. Um, but what does it for me, and Steve, you kind of mentioned this, but at the three minute mark of this song, the riff gets huge. 
does this riff pretty much until the end of the song. And uh, that, you know, you're enjoying some gothy vampy stuff at the beginning, but there's no question that it's rock and roll for the last, you know, couple minutes of the track. It's a, uh, it's a fun one. So I'm glad you guys uh, liked it to varying degrees, but, um, uh, but that's that. And uh, they would take that and, and, and up it. They would up the vamping, they'd up the goth and they would uh, up the, the pop sensibilities to one of the big singles off this album, our next track, Love Like Blood. starts we must play our lives like soldiers in the field life is short i'm running faster all the time strength and beauty destined to decay so cut the rose in full bloom and this is your like live fast and leave a good looking corpse kind of thing like <laughs> essentially like in a way it's like saying uh life is short and unpredictable um but there is passion in youth and it gets sad when it starts to decay so do everything you can you know basically like don't squander your youth is I think if there was a message to that. And as the song continues, they do like bring in, if you've seen the video, the video, they're taking their like gothy vamped out image to the extreme. It's like a lot of lighting. It's a great video. Very, very indicative of the time. They're performing in this room. There's pillars and there's like linen being blown by fans and, and fog as they're performing. Um, and then there is also images of like sickles and like things that, kind of more related politically at the time to Eastern Europe and, and like communism. Uh, they actually used some, some stuff that was from communist propaganda, like love and hate fight with burning hearts to legends live and man is God again. Um, they're putting that in, in there too. And I'm trying to like, just kind of trying to figure out why they're, they're, they're talking about a few things in here. Um, but essentially like uh, what they're going for is passion uh, is a, is the is the thing that will drive change and that can happen in youth that can happen in revolution and that is the force and it, that that's your love like blood like that 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 love for an idea is is what makes it come alive and um it's pretty powerful lyrically um but i want to hear what you guys have to say about it mark what do you got um the song is extremely catchy. It's also very accessible. Um, if you're just thinking about it on radio play, it has a, uh, a baseline that would be reminiscent from like a new order song. Um, it, it definitely a Peter hooky type baseline at least. Um, and jazz Coleman's vocals are definitely at its most poppiest and throughout the whole record. Uh, I, I I think this song is just a standout single. I'm probably hearing it from the uh, 
the production booth, you're like, well, that's our lead single right there. Whether it was or not, I mean, it's just, it probably achieved probably their best success. And I think according to your background history, it probably did. It did. They had two singles. They had the, the 80s and non-album track uh, New Day before it even dropped. But this was their third single and their most successful from the record. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like I had mentioned, the song has a lot of things, especially that chorus. Till the feelings got almost like a most like a post pop punk sensibility to it similar to i think steven's um calling out echo and the bunny men um oh yeah i, I could see a, a more harder edged version of that and the guitar work, work for me is also because i tend to label music of where i've heard certain sounds before um, that guitar work reminds me of the cure um, and I'm big fan of that melody during uh, Till the Fearless Come and the act is done in the chorus. Yes. Good God. That is that can get stuck in your head. That's a big highlight of their whole record for me. And this song also has some solid hi-hat work. If you listen to it <laughs> on, on headphones, uh, it's uh, it's got some good hi-hat work. Yeah, for a little pop track, Paul is, Paul is giving it his all on that set in this song. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm glad to Give hear. Him. Glad to hear that, Steve. What do you got? That was my hi hat. Give him the hi hat. Give him the hi hat. Miller's <laughs> crossing over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was this song a radio hit? Oh yeah, yeah. This is like I said. This is the third, their third single, but the biggest single off the album. Okay, yeah. That's a good track. Jazz displays quite a bit of range on this one. I think vocally, uh, it kind of stretches himself out a little bit more. It does, it does really come across as an 80s song in a good way. It's kind of like, you know, some of this is to uh, Jordy's hollowed guitar. There's a lot of echoiness going on in this. There's a dreaminess to it. There's, a, there's another case of a warbly synths, for lack of a better term, that in this track, it's kind of a constant bedrock throughout the entire song that offsets the 80ness of it all as well as these uh, chunk, chunk guitars that offset the angular riffs a little bit, if you listen for it. Uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, the, for, for every angular post-rock riff, post post riff, um, Jordy also has a lot of chunky riffs buried in there, if you listen for them. It, it, takes, it takes things down a step, I think, of... Uh, 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 Momentum-wise, from the first two tracks, which is a good thing. You don't want to have the whole album just be the same, the same exact speed. And uh, I do think, if you listen to it again, knowing this, that Motley Crue's "Doctor Feelgood" ripped the song off. Oh, really? Listen to them side by side. I think the guitar riffs are really similar. Huh. 
It's not the only song that got ripped off on this record, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we'll get yes, as we as we're fond of saying, uh, we'll 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 get back to that later. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad hearing mostly positive things. I like this track a lot. Steve, you're right. I mean, it was like, and you can tell by where they went after this album. Like they got back from Iceland with a mind for for like making a commercial album, but not compromising their values. And I think this is the perfect example of that. Um, it's, I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's an eighties, like dark wave pop song, but the lyrics are at times kind of edgy for the time, but also really passionate. And um, jazz is for the first time on this album, showing us his range and uh but they did it's still like the bass and the drum back and forth is still amazing the guitar work is still it, like th this is the killing joke sound it's just like yeah we can also you know hey maybe molly ringwald will kiss will kiss the guy at the end of the movie to this song maybe not but it, it, it could work <laughs> it's it's definitely an 80s song um and for that if there were a critic would say well it doesn't age well I would give them that, but I would say not all songs should age, age well. Some songs should sound like 80s songs and 70s songs and 90s songs. That's just, that's just what happens when you are recording in a zeitgeist. Um, but I, I, I do love this song. This is, this is a big one for me. Um, they did release a 12-inch version. And if you enjoy that like bass and drum back and forth, you're going to get about two more minutes of that in the extended version. It's just a little bit more groovy. Uh, it's essentially the same song, but they just like let the atmosphere go a little longer and uh, worth, worth a listen. Is this your favorite song on the record or are you not uh, unveiling that yet? Uh, I am going to, uh, you know what? I'm going to unveil that when we get to the end because I think I'm still figuring that out. But this okay. one is super high for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid track. It's yeah. definitely a highlight. Um, it for me it was between this one um, and Darkness Before Dawn, but yeah, Darkness Before Dawn. There's just something about that fucking uh, song that just makes me want to go back to the days of the Alpha Zone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mark. Love Mark it. loves it. Mark loves to drop an Alpha Zone joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Track four, the end of side one. We have a song called Kings and Queens. Kings and Queens, lyrically, it is um, really something that I, having me listen to this, coming up to this election, uh, there are a few tracks, not all of them, but a few tracks that really clicked for me politically, and this is one of them. Um, 
it's got this, you know, well, take it easy. The world goes crazy, but it's just another day. It's easy sleazy. And uh, basically goes on to saying like, I I may not be a king. In fact, I it's basically like targeting that, that demographic that's like not rich, but is voting like they're gonna benefit from conservative politics. Like I'm gonna ignore all of these, the, like, you know, I'm lower class or middle class and these, or, and these people around me are struggling and I'm going to ignore them because I'm buying into this, like, uh, you know, for him, it was Margaret, this Margaret Thatcher idea of like conservative uh, uh, economics. And like, I'm buying into this. I, I, I you know, I'm going to, I, in my head, I'm living like Kings and Queens and I'm ignoring the pain and suffering of the people around me. And um, my God, it's like such a, such a real thing and still is and it's something that we've been watching you know in america for for quite some time uh people voting against their best interests <laughs> because they they i don't know they maybe they believed they believed this 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 dream um but uh anyways i think it's uh, lyrically it's very interesting this is definitely falling back into their formula and we'll see what you guys think if that's a good or a bad thing. So um, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, speaking of favorite songs in the album, this is probably mine. Um, oh, I called it. I, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Go on. No, it's got, it's got a lot of my favorite things. Um, it picks the drive up a little bit more. The, the momentum gets going. It has a lot of rising action. Um, there, there's some riffage between the choruses that it, it's kind of like, I, I don't know. It's kind of angularly, it's angular and surfish to an extent, almost Dead Kennedys like, like Link Ray kind of style. I really, I really dig it. Um, this is the guitar solo on it. There is, a, there's almost, there's like a brief guitar solo on this track that fucking slays. Oh God, it's, yeah. It's all like, it's all wiry, wiry sounding. It sounds stringy, but it also kind of sounds like the band Wire, who I'm sure was an influence on Killing Joke. And, uh, actually kind of has like that high pitched guitar tone that sometimes neurosis uses. I know when you think of neurosis, you think of very heavy and very slow and very sludgy, but they also do like to sometimes break out this high pitched guitar tone um, to build up tension. And there's a guitar solo that kind of does that same effect. I really, I really dug it. Um, it just, it, it, it scratch the song. It just scratches my more of the post. It's really heavy post rock. It shellac slint. Drives like Jehu, uh, the Jesus Lizard, Hot Snakes, all those bands who I really like all those bands. And I think all except for one of those bands I've seen live, um, it scratches that itch for me. And I, I really dig it. I, uh, I didn't look at the lyrics too much, but as far as the sound, it's heavy, it's fast, and it's kind of got some good guitar trickery on it. I dig it. like it a lot. Lives like kings and queens. Mark, what do you think? Um, this song has quite the infectious guitar riff. It starts it out um, right at the beginning, and it just absolutely just stays in your mind. Um, and also, I agree with pretty much 100% of what Stephen had just uh, described this song as. But for me, it has like, it, it is a great song. I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, put that here because I don't want anyone to think that I'm talking shit when I say this next. In my mind, this is what if Public Image Limited 
and Duran Duran formed a super group, this is what yeah. the song would sound like. Because when you think of Kings and Queens, in my mind, I almost sometimes go to that melody that Simon LeBond from Duran Duran says on Girls on Film. It's it's completely worlds apart. <laughs> God damn it. Yep, now it's going to do it to me. It's just in my head. It's, it's uh, my broken brain just for whatever reason melded that. But I do agree with the pop post-punk sensibility it brings on and leans into the more the sleaziness part of the post-punk um because when you think of post-punk i think personally of joy division and uh very minimalist Bauhaus uh architecture just straight lines and minimalist as you can be and uh, this song though actually has some anthemic moments um, even has a little grunt right before that little bridge and breakdown. Uh, and I think that's where Jordy Walker's little sort of guitar solo breaks in. Um, I, I, like, really... I like a good grunt in a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking about it recently, uh, that album I suggested to maybe both you guys, definitely I told Eric about it, maybe both of you. Yeah. A metal band called Spirit Adrift. They re- released a really good album recently. And one of the tracks, it, it just has a, part where everything stops and picks up again the guy goes oof and there's a in metal specifically black metal the the oof is something that so many metal bands and black metal bands do yeah it's one of my favorite things just the the grunt because it's peter peter Steele was a grunter oh yeah i mean james (laughs) hetfield is one of the best um if anything you think of it it, it's almost like they're conducting the band to go into the next like chord change or something like that yeah Yeah, but uh, to close my remarks, uh, this song has fist-pumping action. Um, you don't really... Uh, it is made for a live audience. You you absolutely are thrusting your hands in the air when he says, live like kings and queens. So, um, yeah, it's a good track. It's not my favorite off the album, um, but it, it, it absolutely is right where it needs to be. Whatever I decided my favorite on the album is, this is going to be my number two. Um, it's so close for me. I the lyrical, like I said, the lyric content is very relevant to American politics and the problems with that, um, and just being selfish, uh, creating this like this weird alternate reality for yourself, where you don't have to look at the suffering of other people. You can just bask in your own privilege, like that. That I think is ex- ex- extremely deep. Um, it is formulaic in a killing joke way. Like they're doing their, their, their drum and bass thing, but that guitar solo uh, before the third verse is amazing. And it's the, probably the only guitar solo we get on this album. And like I said, Jordy's not flashy. He has a signature sound clearly that other guitarists pick up on, but he's not flashy. He's not always soloing, but uh, you know, here, what he did is he basically recreated the vocal melody and he does it on one octave, and then he does it on another octave. And Steve, that neurosis sound you're hearing, that that's that harmonics where mm-hmm. it's like a slowly building, like it's a low riff, but they have one finger on a high octave that's that's following that low riff. Yeah. And I, I love that too. Like that, that solo does it for me big time. So this was one that I, you know, the first few times I heard Nighttime and I knew I would love this album, I didn't pay a lot of attention to, but on this re-listen, like 
I hit repeat on this song often. This is a this is a good one, and it might just be the election or whatever. But there is something infectious about the song. I'm I'm crazy about it. So I'm glad you like you guys liked it as well. Uh, but we flip the, the we flip the record over and we get to a track called Tabaza. Boy, fellas, Tabazan is. I mean, I'm not going to tell you to talk about the music. I'll let you guys get into that. Um, the lyrics of this <laughs> are. I don't know what to make of it. This is. I'm going to bring up Grant Morris again. Also, I love that you brought Grant Morrison up with the Chaos Magic. Obviously, this band was into the occult. I'm also re rereading his Batman run right now because I like spooky. It's a spooky. It's a spooky run. It's a, it's a spooky oh, yeah. comic, and it's perfect for this time. But anyways. I, but this would be the Grant Morrison's filth of this album. Tabaz. <laughs> the song is about sperm. Architects erect erections. Monoliths are raised. I love the swollen mound. I love the swollen mound. <laughs> God. Who amongst us doesn't? <laughs> yeah, sure. We all love the swollen mound. This is a very weird way of the song. Is, is it, it's taking his occult and magic look at reproduction and that the future of the world is in the next generation. So that part, I'm like, okay, I'm on board for that. But then he goes into the specifics of how you create that next generation. And it's, it's through this like magical sperm and it's a fuck song. It's, this song is a fuck song. This is the song about, <laughs> song's about fucking. It's about fucking. Jazz fucks, guys. I don't know what to tell you. He fucks. So that's what the song is about. Uh, what do you guys think? Mark, uh, what do you think? What do you think about the song about fucking? So, uh, you know, uh, by the take it, take the ride is usually, you know, my perspective when it comes to songs about the F-U-C-K in, um, it is a pretty horny track. There's no getting around it. There's no, uh, browbeating. It is a pretty horny track lyrically, but the song has hooks. It, it uh, the chorus brings it together. It has a sort of minimalistic structure in the verse, uh, verses. There's guitar hooks throughout, but if you put another layer of distortion, um, this song would find a cozy little home on Ministry's Filth Pig. All right, yeah. Um, nice. But uh, it's not my personal favorite, um, but it's not a bad track. It's not a skippable track by any means. Um, it starts out like a slow engine, and then it finally gets kind of moving and revving, and the uh, you, you come for the, uh, um, the horny lyrics, and you stay for the... Uh, the spronkin guitar. Oh boy, do I come for the the horny lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, take it away. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what's funny about this track is that this is the one where I made a note that uh, that Killing Joke, so many of these songs really nail the middle between Heather and Eric's tastes. And of course, 
it's the fucking song where I said that, which is disgusting. <laughs> um, there's a there's a pretty cool, awesome malfunctioning guitar sound, like an exercise that opens the track. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's oh, yeah. uh, it's it's uh vo- it's cut up vocal work. Uh, okay. Push, push through the keyboard. So that's that's some jazz like. Well, it's uh, not a keyboard. guitar at all, but it, it it is a weird weird little exercise. It's like a... yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty cool, and uh, it, it goes into this the, the, like a robo riff. Uh, the guitar and the bass line kind of lock into each other on this track. Uh, Jazz's vocals on this one, they're a lot more anxious sounding. And maybe that's because he's talking about fucking. He gets nervous. But uh, <laughs> yeah, very, very anxious vocal delivery. And the, yeah, the guitar work on it, like Mark said, a lot of distortion. This one gives me big Joy Division vibes, but really fuzzed out. And it's uh, it's pretty... It's pretty it's 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 pretty a lot of these songs they're there are a lot of lines back to joy division and i think that's that's pretty cool this is this is the band that maybe joy division could have became instead of uh, becoming terrible like new order it's but, funny uh, the uh it's funny that you bring them up because in the documentary peter hook is in it for one scene and one scene only and that was uh when jazz disappeared uh, uh uh, Peter Hook says, yes, yes, the, the local music group, you know, the community was wondering where he went. Killing Joke was such a part of what we were doing. Um, and then he apparently just, you know, freaked out and went to Iceland and who the fuck cares? <laughs> that was Peter Hook's uh, two cents on it. <laughs> New Order, Peter Hook, another good episode of Rivals uh, yes. focuses on them. Uh, th- there's a section in this song. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, I usually don't <clears throat> focus on the lyrics as much as you guys do, especially Eric. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But one lyric I did write down on this track, all hail the new seed breeding section. You know that, that section? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the drums really get crazy at that section. They get some, like, tribal beats for a moment there. Really stuck out to me. The drums kick it up a notch, and he's, all hail the new seed breeding. Uh, I, I dug it. Overall, I do like this song about fucking <laughs> push, push it between, between her, her legs. legs and stretch the lips mother oh, relieve me <laughs> jesus mother, christ believe me yeah it's I'm getting, uh i'm getting i'm getting like a hustler magazine you know what it's a penthouse forum yeah <laughs> there you know what's funny is that uh i haven't watched a seinfeld in a few weeks i'm overdue but since quarantine hit i've mentioned before i've watched like every episode of seinfeld like five times over out of order um they had a running joke about penthouse form letters do you guys remember that <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> there's multiple times where they would like kramer would be saying i didn't believe it would ha- it, it was real until it happened to me <laughs> and it's just like more than once like in different seasons they went back to that well i, th- I found it it's hilarious <laughs> one, one time at dimple uh we bought back a cd of audio an audio book of penthouse forum letters and and after closing of course we, we played it <laughs> god signed anonymous <laughs> oh god. oh man oh boy uh yeah guys uh, i mean i'm right there with you on this one this isn't a, this is more of the formulaic killing joke um that is great and i love my ears love it um i do love that the the keyboard is doing some cool stuff and the cut up lyric stuff is great um Everything else kind of is like maybe paint by numbers killing joke, but that's a good sound to me. Um, so I do enjoy this one. Uh, lyrically, uh, I don't know what he's trying to say in this. Uh, 
other than like, yes, the next generation can save the world. But to make that next generation, you've got to fuck. <laughs> That's exactly what I told Jen. <laughs> yeah. Come on, baby. Let's save the world. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, this is a, it's a fun little uh, halfway point on this album. Uh, anyways, that's 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 uh, Tazaban, and I did search Tazaban to see if it was like a city or if it was if it had another. And no, the only thing that came up was this song. Um, but that brings us to the next song, uh, track, which is Multitudes. Multitudes uh, came up, actually, not this song specifically, but just the, the, the word multitudes came up all over that documentary every time they talked about magic. So this is clearly lined up with some of the stuff that Jazz believes in. Um, but there is a theme to this that I think is relatable um, for those of us not steeped in the occult. Uh, they don't fit in, they don't belong, move on, move this way. Within disorder, I assume my role. Laugh and cry as I accept eternal indolence through ages. Tis restless souls begin to wake. Um, and that's just like a little snippet of a song basically about conformity is hard. And it's forced on us. Um, but those of us that don't fit in will change the world. And that's, that's kind of what Multitudes is about. It's, uh, it's a little poppy song, but it's dark. And what do you guys think? I think this goes to Steve first. It does, because multitudes is one of my favorite words, actually. I, I don't know if you guys keep track of your favorite words, but multitudes is a word. Whenever I say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that word. I like the way it, uh, it kind of sounds like what it means. I don't know. Uh, this song is definitely back to the 80s. This one in particular could be on the Lost Boys soundtrack, I feel. Um, it really has that, that vibe. It's kind of laid back. There is some, there's some rising drum action in between the choruses, but for the most part, it's, it's not as propulsive as uh, most of the tracks on this album. I actually, this one is probably my least favorite song on the album. It's not overall like bad. It just, I found myself, my attention drifting. But right before I was going to skip it, and I wouldn't skip it because I was listening to it for homework, but still, if I were going to skip it, at the 345 mark, there's a total like woozy, synthy, like woozy synths in angular guitar bridge that comes in for a moment that's really engaging. the highlight of it for me is the three minute and 45 second mark um 
Yeah, not my favorite track in the album. Multitudes. I don't mind this track. Uh, it's not my favorite, but it's clearly not on my list of stepchildren that I need to ignore if I was to make <laughs> a playlist. Um, it is an atmospheric song, and to your point, it it does very closely resemble um, some of the stuff that we heard on um, Love Like Blood. You know, back to the 80s, that whole thing that Steve was talking about. has a bass line that kind of just stutters down the street, not swaggering, just stuttering. And the rhythm section is definitely having a conversation on this song. Uh, the guitar work adds a little flourishes here and there. Um, one thing that I'm also now being more tuned with is that the way that Jazz Coleman's vocals never overpower the song's period, but specifically on this song, and maybe because it has more of a rhythmic um, tempo that is more taking over the actual song. It really does remind me of how Maynard James Keenan from Tool approaches his songs. Uh, Tool, I think, is a very rhythmic band um, with you know some screeching guitar, and we'll thankfully get to talk about Tool sometime in this season but how you have to almost listen a little closer to hear what uh, the singer is singing about. And I think Jazz Coleman absolutely takes that approach, and I think Maynard was absolutely influenced by that. Um, so this song doesn't necessarily bother me, because I do like atmospheric songs that you would find on the Lost Boys soundtrack to a certain degree. And uh, I think it's pleasant on the ears. Yeah, I mean, not a lot to add to that. It's it's it because it is, it is kind of, uh, we'll say we'll call it uh, pleasant yet uh, formulaic killing joke. Um, it doesn't pop out as a highlight of the album, but it, it it it's fine. And I like what it's about. It is very much the. Uh, well, like, you know, Bowie and Iggy Pop did Dancing with the Big Boys, and that was about fighting against Reagan youth conformity. This would be around, well, not, ex well, around the same time, but the UK, your Margaret Thatcher version of that, and that, uh, you know, pushing back against the yuppies and, and, and against this kind of conservative um, suburban attitude that was taking over both countries. Um, so I appreciate that. And uh, musically, like, like, like I said, nothing jumps out, but there is a minor key slip for the choruses that sounds great, that, that, that I do enjoy. So um, I always love when it jumps from major to minor and it does that in the chorus in this one. So that's this track. Uh, thank you and you're welcome for referencing Dancing with the Big Boys, a song you'd never think you'd have to think about again. <laughs> Uh, that brings us to track three on side two, Europe.
Holy Europe is not the most goth song on the album, but it may be the most emotional. This song is done um, from a modern lens of Eastern Europe, you know, you know, your uh, Berlin Wall, all that. Um, but also like, you know, the day humanity is over, when nations East and West tremble at the site, but also talking about um, history and talking about World War II and how basically Europe let so much get taken over before they, they fought back. And it's, it's this feeling of betrayal by a country that won't protect their people when fascism starts to take over. And this one lyrically really got me amped up during uh, the weeks leading up to the election. I was, was going to say, you tell me about this yesterday, I'd be having a, or yeah, a week ago, and it'd be hitting a lot different than it hits today. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, yeah, exactly. During the Trump, the Trump era, this is, this makes sense. I mean, it's, it, it is a song, it's a feeling of betrayal. Um, you know, you know, the uh, black sun is rising as the gods of Europe sleep. And just this, the kind of feeling of, of, you know, eventually Europe did, you know, at least, you know, the UK did the right thing and, you know, America joined in, but so much had happened and so much people had been taken over before people got, you know, before, uh, army, you know, before uh, action began. And that's what this song is about. It's just that feeling of betrayal about your country when you're not protected by them against, you know, authoritarianism and fascism. And I think it hits, it hits hard. Mark, what do you think about Europe? Um, I think very highly of it uh, for some of the reasons that you already outlined. Um, but the guitar, bass, and the drum are an absolute lockstep on this song. Um, you get that post-punk chorus, um, that glory, glory, that almost could be from a Clash song. Um, it opens up the song uh, a little bit because um, what I'm sensing on this album, that there is this um, kind of push and pull of expansive song, like um, sound, and then kind of constricting back a little bit. And I think it 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 falls on the the tightness of that guitar riff. Um, and it's very uniform in the verses. Um, and if you kind of look at it, it fits into that contemporary sound. You know, Steve had talked about earlier um, of a song reminiscent of Wire. Um, I can also hear a little bit of The Fall. Other bands like Perry Ubu, you know, those type of post-punk bands that um, are guitar-driven and then later then copied by such bands as like Interpol. Uh, I think there's great drum work on this sound on this out on this song, excuse me. And it sounds like as mechanical as a clock. It's uh it's a strong song, especially when you look at some of the lyrics like you were talking about in light of just waiting for a better day in your country that you love. It uh it hits it it, it hits home in a in a day like today. Yeah. Absolutely. Steve, what do you think of Europe? I think it's a weirdly catchy song. Um, <clears throat> what stuck out to me about this song is the guitar work. It kind of has some of that stabbing effect again, for lack of a better term. And it really reminded me, this track, it clicked with me. Sometimes the guitar work reminds me of mid-80s Rush in a very good way. Yes, um, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, Alex, yes. Alex Lifenson. I'm thinking like Power Windows era Rush, which I, I like all Rush. Um, they've definitely had their phases and their their commercial 80, 80s phases. This his guitar work reminds me of that at times. It really jumped out at me on this track. Um, 
they're almost this band kind of the way that some of these songs come across is almost like a mirror universe like a dark dark universe uh rush of the 80s um i i do like this song i i think that all that that lyrical content fascinates me like i was saying a few minutes ago just considering that not to be too dramatic about it but good god you guys i think we might we might it's, it's still kind of sinking in like after you have a new kid or you get um you know bring it back down to the level we've been at the, for this episode get laid for the first time <laughs> i mean we fucking we might have like Ring. we i mean we might have pivoted away from becoming a fucking fascist autocratic regime in the next few years today it's it's just insane to think of that and uh these lyrics really drive that home so i i i'm, I'm glad you uh went in, went in depth on those eric yeah yeah and uh i think that maybe stands out maybe more than the music to me but i do love um usually it's the bass and drums and lock and then the guitar is doing the atmosphere but this one they're all it's like a three it's like a three-way and it's it's perfect so uh, a three-way bringing it back to the sex talk i like that's it. right that's right <laughs> that's right so it's boner town tonight on pod like a hole <laughs> we're in the blue hour <laughs> that's right pod like a hole after dark uh <laughs> it's for our patreon listeners only that's right that's behind right. the paywall yeah, well and our only fans of course <laughs> that brings us to our closing track on this album and the first single and a big single let's be honest we've all seen the video 80s song controversy over the guitar riff we'll talk about that great video where uh you see a lot of like clips and footage of of leaders during the 80s and uh you see them playing on this like over dramatic podium as he sings it in his you know his uh leather gear and uh this song is you know it's it, it's it's all out there for you. It's very clear. There's not a lot to decipher. 80s. I'm living in the 80s. I have to push. I have to struggle. Get out of my way. I'm not for sale anymore. It's kamikaze till we get there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it is talking a lot about, um, you know, some of the tracks like we, by day we run by night we dance. Um, I'm in love with the coming race. Uh, it's, it's talking about like yuppie club culture, but also how hard life is. And uh, this kind of like uh, capitalist uh, sheen over everything, um, but we're still struggling. And he's, he the growls back in this song, like he's growling. Um, it's it's pretty fun that way. Steve, what do you think about 80s? I think it's a, it's a great song. It's catchy as all hell. Eric, where have I heard this song before? I mean, I've heard 
Besides hearing the song, it's been in movies and everywhere, right? I mean, right. I, it's just... <clears throat> yeah, did you watch the um, Deadly Class show? I didn't. Is that on Netflix? Uh, not Netflix US. It was on okay. uh, Sci-Fi Channel for a while. Anyways, they used it in the first episode of that. I, I do believe they used it in like 16 Candles or like one of the John Hughes movies. And like during a dance scene. Okay, but, yeah, I think it's in Weird Science, possibly. I, um. That's it. That's the one. Yeah, it's at the dance, the the, the school dance. Yeah, I've heard the song. I bet you. I bet you you've hear, heard it in more places. Um, just feel like it's just everywhere. Uh, really great, great song. Uh, really short song. It gets in, it gets out. It's very surgical. And this band in general is very surgical. I've decided, at least for this record, they do just enough to get the point across, and they don't belabor anything. There's only one time in this album where I check my watch, and uh, I think that's 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 pretty good. That's a that's a, that shows that they know what they want to do. Um, yeah, like the guitar again. The guitar riff on this one kind of brings me back to maybe a Dead Kennedys vibe. Um, really catchy and uh, atonal. Uh, the the lyrics, like you were saying, they also kind of remind me of Jello B. Offer style, just commenting on capitalism and. I I actually think that Jazz Coleman is if you douse Jello Biafra with acid, you might get jazz. Yeah, get jazz, yes, yes. Which yeah. is a horrible image. Uh, I, I guarantee. I guarantee Jello. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee Jello has doused himself in acid before. Diane Feinstein. Um, yeah, uh, so I I I I was looking at the um the artwork for this the cover of the single. And it has this like Russian propaganda style artwork to it. And I just thought that again today, much like the lyrics to Europe, uh, I, I felt like it was strangely timely um, or where we could have just gone. So this, this, this album is kind of an interesting portal to some of the directions that we could have pivoted to with our government recently. Um, Gordy Walker though. Is it Jordy or Gordy? It's Jordy. Jordy. Yeah. Uh, the song has such a catchy, catchy slashing riff. It really is the highlight for me. And at the end of it, they do. He's done this a couple of times in this record. Now that I've thought about it and said it out loud, uh, there's a there's a section towards the closing of the song where it just drops down to the guitar itself for a moment before the bass and the drums come back in. And he's just chunk chunk chunking. If you blink, you'll miss it. But there's a moment in this track where he just really just grinds into a nasty, dirty riff. I dig it. And I love that. Um, the album and the song ends like that. All of a sudden, it's just eighties. Uh, I like, <laughs> I, I I like it when a song ends unexpectedly like that. Yeah. Uh, pretty great, great. I think it's a great closing track. I think it's cool because it's catchy. You could make this a track too. You could, but they put it at the end. It's the closer. I think it's an interesting choice for a closer. I dig it. High marks. Speaking of Marks, Mark, what do you think about 80s? So it's an amazing track. Uh, it, there's no doubt, and I agree with what Stephen had said. And I'm sure that you are going to add a little bit more color to this. Um, but absolutely, I think that Nirvana absolutely need to pay royalties to Killing Joke off of the guitar riff that Kurt Cobain lifted from this song, from this song onto Come As You Are. Uh, it is unfortunately now in my head that whenever i hear the opening guitar lick i'm like wow shit that is come as you are wow that's uh 
There's it, no denying it, it. It is, but it's a lot. I mean, Come As You Are, I feel, is completely different. I love Come As You Are. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not slagging yeah. on, on Nirvana. I love Nirvana. Check yeah. out season and season two, folks. There's a Nirvana episode buried in there for you waiting. Absolutely. Um, but it is hard not to recognize the, the similarities there. Um, but Sorry, it has can that. We, can, yeah. we talk, can we talk about that just for a minute? Let's like, let's, well, yeah, I'll let you add a little bit of color, but let me just finish my yeah, thoughts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. I figured that you have a lot going on on that. Um, that propulsive guitar riff really carries it through the, the pounding drum, just plodding along. Um, it does have that punk element to it where killing jokes seem to be running two different identities as a political band. And then also as a, um, kind of this goth romantic band, especially what I'm seeing on this album. Um, I'm not too well versed in their entire catalog, but it seems that's kind of what he's going for. A little bit of magic on one side, but a little bit of politics on the other. Um, and I also think that the guitar tone is sounds really bright, especially during the chorus um, and the bridge is just, it's great. Everything about the song is very tight, uniform. This was the only music video that I've ever really watched all the way through with Killing Joke. And Jordy Walker is in like a priest collar um, and it, everything just seems to fit. And if that was your first introduction to Killing Joke, you would think that they were a political band in the vein of like The Clash and Dead Kennedys versus something that is, uh, you know, what we had talked about on Darkness Before Dawn, like a a poetry band that is smoking cloves in the corner of your local goth club. So yeah, I'm glad that they're able to thread the needle that way. Yeah. There, the sequencing of this album, I think needs to be appreciated because it starts pretty rough, like their early stuff. And it ends pretty rough. Like when I say the early stuff, I mean like post punk, like they, like a lot of these guys were punks coming out of the scene. Um, and it ends that way. And in the middle, you get you get a kind of journey through dark wave 80s pop. And, I, and I, that's pretty fun. And, and funny enough, this was one of their biggest hits of the 80s. But I mean, especially the way jazz sings, he's not doing that, that gothy dark wave vocals. Like he's, he's singing it like his punk stuff. And, and um, this, it's a great single. And as far as the lawsuit goes, it's it, uh, about the song. It's very interesting. Um, and they always claim they never, they never sued Nirvana, but some stuff has come out <laughs> that maybe they did. But obviously they worked it out because they got Dave Grohl back. And on that documentary, there's a, there's a scene where Dave Grohl's just telling him, like, guys, I, uh, you know, we would, in Nirvana, we would listen to whatever your new album was that year before we went on stage. And then we'd get pumped. We'd already be sweating before we got on stage because we were that into you guys. So, I mean, obviously there was a mutual respect. Um, Killing Joke has never had the commercial success. There may have been that kind of influence to pursue a lawsuit as far as that goes. But that song definitely sounds, the, the riff is the same. And I agree with Mark on that. But uh, Come As You Are, they take the riff, they make something completely different out of it. And if it was rap music, we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. So, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. As far as far as that goes. But what's funny is there is, <laughs> there is a song by uh, The Damned from 1982. So before 
Nighttime, off their album Strawberries, called Life, uh, Life Goes On, where Captain Sensible's riff sounds very much like Killing Joke's riff, which sounds very much like Nirvana's riff. So uh, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. The riff comes up a few times. So just to compare, Killing Joke... Nirvana and The Damned Life Goes On Interesting. Apparently, Killing Joke had no knowledge of this damn song, but I don't know. I would. I'll, I'll just say uh, it's a great riff, and a lot. Three fantastic bands: The Damned is great, Killing Joke's great, Nirvana's great. They all Captain benefit, Sensible. They all benefit. Captain <laughs> Sensible. If you ever watch that documentary, Captain the 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 damn docu- documentary, Captain Sensible is a ridiculous person, but love him. When I'm, when I'm when I'm all done watching all of Deep Space Nine, I'll add it to the list. All right, uh, yeah, '80s is great. Um, past that kind of controversy, um, I do enjoy this one too. It's it's it is one of the few songs on here where the guitar riff drives the song. Um, on the other songs, like usually it's the drum and bass back and forth that drives it. And the guitar riff does something very cool over it, atmospheric. And maybe there's a few moments of, of riffage, like spotlight. But this is one of the few songs that the riff drives it. And uh, when you see him play it live, it is intense. The video even, like the whole set's kind of shaking as they play. Like it, like there is thumping happening. They're all into it. It is a grimy kind of, for a high production video, it, it, it definitely feels like, the band is taking over the stage. Um, I love '80s. It's a great closer too. I agree because they've uh, we've gone on this journey, and through history and through the history of of societies that have been wronged by the bat, the evil in the world, and we end up back in the '80s, and now there's some more of that. So it's 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 a great closer. All about it. Uh, there's a few bonus tracks on this album to talk about. Um, I'll just go through them really quick. So I don't think, I don't think you guys checked them out. Um, as far as I know, and that's fine. Uh, blue feather is a, uh, uh, is a bonus track on the, on this one. That's pretty fun to listen to. It's basically about like art is what you can use to fight against oppression. It used to be a instrumental track, an early instrumental track of theirs. And they added lyrics. Go Play Rebel is about fake fake punks, essentially, manufactured re- rebellion. That one's kind of fun. Uh, the quality is pretty bad on that recording, though, as far as this goes. But the shining star of the bonus tracks on this is New Day.
even though it came out before Love Like Blood, it's like in that vein, like, okay, so this vamping kind of goth 80s rock is going to work for us. New Dave definitely follows that. But it's, it's, it's basically like living in East Germany with a wall and hoping for a better future. And it's this, it's this song about hope, but it's still pretty dark in, in how it's per- performed. And uh, musically, it's like lockstep in with like Love Like Blood and that kind of thing. So if you like that, you're going to like A New Day. Very cool non-album track to be one of the big singles from this era. Yeah, cool. Uh, I'll definitely, uh, on Apple Music, they do have those bonus tracks, the Kid Jensen Session mixes. Uh, I did listen to Blue Feather. I found it to be, you know, I didn't really take a whole lot of copious notes on it. I just, my initial impressions were it starts off like a Joy Division song and then it turns into a Cure song. And, you know, I like both of those bands. Sure, Uh, yeah. Um, New Day, I think I listened to that once and I also had um, higher remarks on it, but I didn't um, make any notes on it. And sure, um, some of the other stuff like the matting crowd and some of the uh, joke mixes and the gestalt mixes and the Jordy's dub mixes, I, I, I didn't listen to those, but you're only really saying to really take a look at New Day and New um, New Day was New Day was a good one. If you if you are crazy about the song '80s, they did do they did release one called '80s Serious. It's almost exactly the same as the album version, except they add an echo to the voice, which is 80s, 80s, 80s. So there's that. And then there's about a two-minute breakdown. With that sounds sl- unnecessary. With slap, slap bass and drums. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I had a few uh, drinks last night, and when I listened to that one, I was feeling those two minutes of slap bass and drums. Like, that it worked for me. But the serious... Nice. Serious dance mix uh, was clearly made for that that particular reason, uh, but yeah, as far as the remixes go, not a lot to it. Um, and New Day was serious dance mix in parentheses. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Eighties. Oh serious boy. Da- Anytime, da- like I just think of Depeche Mode looking at me in leather jackets at the beginning of "Enjoy the Silence." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever you talk about a serious dance mix. Yeah. Yeah. It is very serious. Uh, but. Um, hey, speaking yeah. of uh, enjoy the silence, <clears throat> I wanted to bring up. <clears throat> excuse me, gee, many Christmas. Um, I forgot wake to up, Steve. Her- wake up. <laughs> oh, 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 what? What? Where am I? I forgot to mention earlier that also inducted tonight was uh, Depeche Mode to the Rock and Roll Hall. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations to them. We'll be talking about them this season. Yeah, apparently ZZ Top are big fans because uh, one of them is on there talking about how good Martin Gore is for like seriously three different scenes in that in that clip. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Forms my heart. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, that's nighttime. Um, you know, big, you know, not bad on the UK charts of number 11 peak position, Swedish charts, number 50, New Zealand charts, number eight. Guys, what are you going to rank this? How many ha ha's would you give this? How many out of five ha ha's? <laughs> ha ha's. Ha ha's. Because it's a joke. It's a killing joke. I'll go first. I give it 
I give it a 3.25 ha-has. Uh, definitely not an average album at all. Um, I liked I liked it. I enjoyed it. I listened to it a couple of times. I'll return to it in the future. I am going to explore the rest of their catalog a little bit more in depth. Uh, I do appreciate that it's brief. Like I said, I like that they, they get in. On this album, at least, they get in, they get out. They know what they're doing. There's not a lot of fat on this record. There's not a lot of pork, if you will. And um, yeah, it's 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 a good it's it's a, it's a B. It's a good it's a good album. It's a just it's just a, it's a it's a it's right there to B. Good work. I enjoyed it. Nice. I um, do think I do I do one thing I really do like about this album or them in general is it is enjoyable to listen to somebody and and be able to hear. Uh, when you when you we discussed how many of artists that we enjoy enjoy killing joke i can kind of see how even if it's not sonically the uh vibe to use mark's word influence a lot of artists that we enjoy so that that's nice to to pick up on yeah i'm gonna go a little higher than steve i'm gonna give it a 4.0 out of five ha has um a lot of it is because there is some really strong songs on here that I'll be very happy to revisit on a regular basis. And then there's other songs on here that I may need to be in a specific mood to listen to. Um, But given over time, maybe this album will eventually grow on me to be a 5.0 record. But for right now, my first impressions really land comfortably on that 4.0 scorecard, um, you know, highlights of the tracks are obviously Darkness Before Dawn. Um, that gets me moving. I feel like Buck Swope testing out a stereo system in the yeah. in <laughs> stereo universe. You know, you just you can move with it if you want to. Um, <laughs> and then Love Like Blood. I mean, I, I the next time that me and uh, Eric have a hangout, I know that uh, putting that on the YouTube me and Heather will be dancing with our goth dance moves in the living room and it'll be a sight to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it, I'm glad that Eric introduced this album to me and it won't be forgotten. So 4.0. Nice. Yeah. And actually I'm going to, I'm going to score it the same 4.0. Um, and it, you know, like I said, may not be the favorite Killing Joke album. I might actually give a five out of five to either of the self-titled ones, the early, the first one or the the 2002 one. Um, but this one is so interesting to me, the melding of styles of them. Um, it is very pop for me and uh, for my taste, and I love it. And, and I think it's just because they never slouch on the poetry or the edge or the or the drive to these songs um they may just add some layers of of a very timely sound and that's okay um love like blood kings and queens 80s uh there's there's some true truly highlights for the for the genre of 80s rock um be it indie you know indie or or, or more arty or, or or mainstream there there are some real high marks on this album for that and uh it's great. So I, I also give it a four out of five. Um, and the only, like the missing the one point only comes from those moments where it's just formula. It's just the killing joke formula. It's the tribal drums and bass, guitar atmosphere. And, uh, you know, 
kind of cool lyrics and and they're not bad songs they're just kind of killing joke songs they're 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 just kind of flatline and and that's the only loss of points there's nothing bad on here um so awesome so we're all we're all giving it pretty hard marks i appreciate that you guys listened to it and enjoyed it uh as i did uh that's great uh, do you have any recommendations for us or the listeners if we yeah. want to further our studies yeah yeah further studies extra credit uh so like i said those those two self-titled albums uh killing joke from 79 and killing joke from 2002 uh 79 one is you're gonna hear these post-punk songs that could be danced to in a club um uh but none of the vamping or anything like that very cut and dry punk punk but dancey songs and then you have your 2002 album with david Grohl playing on drums david Grohl, Grohl, sorry dave Grohl, and it's just that is that is an example of how hard they get that being said i really do enjoy the chris kinsey version of a brighter than a thousand stars uh it's just basically a follow-up to nighttime so if you like nighttime you'll like his version of that from 2008 you will not like their original release of that and then the martin atkins uh joining them for extremities that album is chunky but it rocks it's very cool album and uh very ahead of its time as far as adding guitars to industrial music so uh those would be my those would be my three big or four big other albums to check out by them. Uh, and of course, you know, the Nine Inch Nails remix of, of Democracy is, was my gateway. So check that out if you have not. What will we check out next? Yes, Eric, it is time to roll that intrepid diamond dice. Roll that bad boy. I got Me it. and Steve step into the ring as uh, Axel ah yes I'm four what's 22 22 We are going to Steven's pick. Oh boy. 2011 album, Uncle Acid, Bloodlust. All right. Yeah. I'm really, really digging deep into these. These are not, these are not your everyday picks between Killing Joke and Uncle Acid. That's right. I hope, I hope the listeners enjoy not getting your everyday music on the podcast anymore. Um, that, that's exciting. This is going to be... This is, I could, I could, we could just keep talking right now. If you guys listen to that album, I could do every fucking, I could talk about every track. Um, <laughs> not a lot of homework required for me on this one. You guys got to listen to it once, take some notes, and we'll be good. But uh, yeah, that, that, that record really, 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 uh, really hit a, uh, it hit me like an atom bomb when that one came out. I've got a lot of good stories about seeing that band. And the uh, first time I heard the, uh, the opening track on an album, it was just, it was wild. They're good. They're a good band. They've they've gotten fairly moderately popular in the metal scene, but they're not exactly metal. They're more. They're hard to explain. They're like psychedelic sludge pop. It's something. Anyhow, we'll talk about them next time. That'll be something. I mean, because I mean, I, I would imagine that me and Eric don't have much history with Uncle Acid, so we'll be treating this as if we were those virgins that 
uh, Jazz Coleman was talking about on Tabazon. So, <laughs> well, and Uncle Acid talks about sacrificing virgins, so it's all tied together. And the uh, the full the full name of the band is incredible. It's Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. So join Blood us next lust. time. Bloodlust. As Stephen will take us through Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats 2011 album Bloodlust. If you happen to be streaming on either Amazon Music, Apple Music, or Spotify, you should have no problem finding that. It's there. Um, but uh, thank you very much for joining us as Eric took us through. Killing Jokes, 1985 record, Nighttime. We hope that you enjoyed um, also exploring that album as well. Give us your thoughts and feedback at our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page. And of course, if you throw feel like throwing a little couple cents in our guitar case, uh, we also have a Patreon. Um, but as always, this has been Mark. Eric. Steven. And we are Pod Like a Hole, and we hope that we have brought you closer to Pod. And uh, if I might say one more thing, if you're the donating type, donate to that race in Georgia. Let's get those Senate seats. That runoff. Get that runoff. <laughs>